we've got a special guest preacher. Um, so, so for some of you, you do need the introduction, but for others, you don't need the introduction. It's the person who hired me just about four years ago, and then I took over for him as the lead pastor uh, three years ago this month. And so uh, Mark, it's Mark Marble, but he, uh, uh, he was a big uh, formation point for me, and, and as I was growing as a lead pastor, so I don't know if you guys knew this, but when I became lead pastor three years ago, I'd never been a lead pastor before, uh, didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, Mark met with me for every week uh, that next year, and mainly as friends, you know, and so we talk about church things, but we talk about life, um, and he just showed tremendous amount of care and love and support for me and for our church, and so I am very honored to have him back to be able to speak to all of us today, continuing our series on Paper Kings. So please give a warm welcome to Mark Marble. Hi, everyone. I'm Mark. It's good to see you. For those of you that don't know me, uh, I had the privilege and the... Oh, first, Pastor Brad and Ms. Sherry, thank you for trusting me with this moment. Um, it was three years and three weeks ago, but who's counting, that I stood on the stage for the last time here after pastoring for 11 years. And it was amazing and fun, and I got to grow a whole lot. There's a lot of people here today that I am very fond of, and I love you all. Those of you that I've never met and... Uh, I'm seeing for the first time, I love you too. So uh, lots and lots of things have, have happened here for me in this space. I was looking at all the names of all the children that I got to baptize in that time, the weddings that we had, the funerals that we had. Uh, Scott Russell was just reminding me that it was 10 years ago, right now, that we remodeled this space. And that was... Uh, Quite a deal. He was here every day working. I don't know if you guys know that, but he put up with me every day for what, like four months or something while we, while we built this place. So a lot of good stuff. Uh, I recently combined all of my wristwatches together and made a belt. It was a complete waste of time. So several months ago, Pastor Brad uh, asked me to preach on this upcoming series right now called Paper Kings. And at first I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. And then I was like, I was really excited. I got really excited. So I've had eight weeks to prepare for today. So I've got a lot of words. I hope you're all ready. There was a bit of a surprise when he told me which king it was because I knew absolutely nothing about King Uzziah. Nothing whatsoever, and boy, have I learned a whole lot. So if you, um, I encourage you to grab a paper Bible, please. So if you could grab one that's around you, uh, I way more prefer paper Bibles than, than phones because you can write in them, you can underline, you can do all sorts of stuff with it. You can also see a whole lot more context there. So have, do I have this? Is this thing, uh, I guess I'll just find out if it's on or not. Is forward on, Nathan, or is back on? Forward is on? Okay, all right. Oh, yeah, it lit up. (laughs) 
So, uh, King, so you guys all got the text to read about King Uzziah, right? So read about King Uzziah. And then I've watched a couple of your sermons on Paper Kings, and Pastor Brad asks you to throw out uh, a word or two about the person, the king that you just read. So I want to hear from you now. What word or idea do you have about King Uzziah, maybe that you never knew before? What, what, do you, what do you have to say about King Uzziah? Hubris. Hubris. That's a very fancy word. Camille, what does that word mean? Like, yeah, hubris is a Greek word, right? Yes. What other, what other word? Successful. He was successful. Yeah. That's why Isaiah freaked out. You know, because in Isaiah it says that on the day, in the year that King Uzziah died... He had been reigning for 52 years. He was like solid. It was, it was stable. The nation was doing great. And when he died, it was like freak out time, right? It was like 9-11, right? We all know where we were. It was like freak out time in a way for some people. What other, what other word? Say it again. Almost. That's a good one. Tantrum. Tantrum. Okay, that's a good word. Powerful. powerful. He was powerful. What's my word? <laughs> One word? One word. No, I, I uh, put me on the spot. I don't have one word. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So his name is really Azariah. But there was a prophet Azariah that we read about a little bit later in the chapter. And so the chronicler decided it would be better not to have any confusion. So they call him Uzziah instead of, instead of Azariah. So... Uh, Uzziah's dad at the end of chapter 25 is assassinated. He's killed, which is a cool story in and of itself. So quick, you got to find a replacement. There can't be anything wrong with putting a 16-year-old boy in the kingship. Could there be? What could be wrong with that? So they decide to do that, fill the role, put this young boy in there. You know, what's the worst that could happen? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read through this chapter and make comments as I go. And then uh, I have a big point that I would like to make. Oh, I thought of my word. You'll get it later. <laughs> then all of the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elat, and he restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his fathers. So as you're starting to notice, there, this is called a regnal resume where they list some ideas about the king, his name, his age when he started reigning, his dad's name, his mom's name, and then some of the things about him. Verse 3, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 50 
two years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. As long as he sought success, the Lord, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabna, and Ashdod. He then rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs, who lived in Gurbaal and against the Meunites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. So tribute is when, was, is when you have a lesser king and a greater king. And the lesser king can't totally take care of everything. So the greater king does that. And the, the lesser king will pay for those, those things. Kind of like a sheriff or food or things like that to, to protect that lesser king. What are they called? Vassals, va vassals and something else. I can't remember. Uh, suzerains. Suzerains and vassals. Yes, the, the, the MDiv scholar will help me with all, my, all the things that I can't remember today. Uh, let's see. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the desert and dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plain. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Do I push the sideways one? It's not going, bro. There it is right there, for he loved the soil. Now, I, just to know a little bit about me, I... I get stuck on stuff like this right here, saying all this stuff, and then all of a sudden there's this little line thrown in there, for he loved the soil. Now, I am a gardener. I have an amazing garden in my backyard, and I'm aware of how the quality of your soil will help produce better plants, better crops. And you have to keep working that soil in order to produce produce something. If you just keep throwing a seed in the ground every year and keep taking out of it whatever it produces without ever doing anything to the soil, then it just gets weaker and weaker and weaker. But I'm fascinated that, that this, was, this was the way that they describe him. He loved, he loved the soil. And I thought about other places in the Bible where there is just a little line thrown in that has so much more meaning or strength or power or than, than, than just a few little words. Like in Genesis 1.16, it says, he also made the stars. So talking about God and, his, and the creation, 
He also made the stars. Holy cow. Have you ever been out in the desert where there's no, not much light pollution to affect your ability to see the stars and looked up at the stars? And that is just a little byline thrown in. And he made the stars. But, but those fun little short, pithy kinds of statements are all throughout the Bible. And if you take a minute to just stop and look at them and think a little bit about what they are, it'll, it'll cause you to think a whole bunch. Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers as mustered by Jael, the secretary, and Maasiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officials. The total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 men. Everybody, that's a lot of men. 307,000. Trained for war. A powerful force to support the king against his enemies. Now, in most armies, the conscripts had to provide their own swords, their own tools, their own weaponry. But not Uzziah. Uzziah provided shields, spears, helmets, coat of armor or chain mail, bows and sling stones for the entire army. And I love this next line. In Jerusalem, he made machines designed by skillful men for use on the towers and on the corner defenses to shoot arrows and hurl large stones. Can you imagine? Somebody invented these like giant crossbows and put them on the corners of the buildings to like, autom like automatic weaponry, just, just annihilate people. I just think that's so cool. And to hurl large stones, like a trebuchet maybe, something like that. His fame spread far and wide, for he was very powerful it's not working. You guys are just going to have to follow me. He was, uh, let's see. And he, he uh, let's see. His fame spread far and wide, and he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Everybody say, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh this is what Camille was talking about right here. So he was successful. He was powerful. He was, he was amazing as a leader. But something happened, and he forgot where his wisdom came from. But, verse 16, there's always got to be a but in there to mess everything up. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride, everyone say pride? His pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, everybody... What could be wrong with just burning a little incense? It's just a little incense. It's just a little smoky, little poofy, smelly stuff. What could be wrong with that? Really, really nothing, right? And I also thought about all the other places in the Bible where people did just a small thing and there were tragic consequences. 
Like, for example, Lot's wife. She was told not to look back. But what did she do? She looked back and became what? A pillar of salt. She died. What's wrong with looking back? That's not the point. Moses couldn't enter the promised land. He gave the people water. What's wrong with that? But it was how he did it. He was disobedient to the Lord. Onan died when he didn't complete a sex act with Tamar. He died. What a way to go, though, huh? Uzzah Uzzah was stopping the ark from falling off of a cart. He was just trying to help the ark not hit the ground. But because of that, he died on the spot. All Uzziah wanted to do was burn some incense. Just a little smelly stuff. However, with the Lord, there is order. With the Lord, there is order. With the Lord, there are lines of who does what. The king was not the one to serve in the temple. The priests were the one to serve in the temple. Azariah, the priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. They confronted him and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Now, if you'd adjust, and here's my word, listened... If he'd have just listened, everything would have been fine. He could have gone, oh, oh, all right, fellas, here you go. Here's the incense burner. I'm out of here. He could have done that, and everything would have been fine, and, he, and we may not have the ending of the story like we have it. Verse 19, Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense, became angry. I mean, can you, just, can you just picture that, right? There's Uzziah standing there. He's got his incense burner. And he got furious. While he was raging. What was your word? Tantrum. Tantrum. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar of the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. Just like that. Now, I don't know what leprosy in this kind of case would look like. Um, I do know I did get to pray for a leper in India one time who had no fingers on his hands and no nose on his face and no ears on his head. And I know what that looks like, but I don't know what this may have looked like. White spots, they say, could have like instantly formed on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they freaked out. They saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave. Yes. Yeah, okay. So 
All I wanted to do was just burn some incense, and that happened. If I am more cantankerous and more disobedient, what else is going to happen to me? King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He was 68 years old when he died. And he lived in a separate house. So he didn't even get to live in the palace. He had to live separated in a quarantined space. Leprous and excluded from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. The other events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded in the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Uzziah rested with his fathers and was buried there, near them, I'm sorry, in a field for burial that belonged to the kings. For people said, he had leprosy. And Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. Yeah, he was powerful. Yeah, he had favor. Yeah, he had success. He led well for 50 years. And like I said, he would have been fine if he had just walked out when he was approached by those courageous priests, 81 of them. That's quite a group. But he raged. He made a bad decision. He thought he was bigger, better, and badder than, than everybody else. So look back at verse 5. Verse 5 is, I think, our main focus of Uzziah's life and a lesson for us. So something that we have to be careful of when we're reading through these kings is that we don't just look at them as, as uh, standards for moralistic behavior. It isn't, oh, let's, what did this guy do right? I'll do that. What did this guy do wrong? I won't do that. No, that's not the intention of why these stories are here. The intention and the reason why we have this and why we read it is to know who our God is. That's why we have this. To know who our God is. And these just happen to be people living out life. And we get to learn, certainly from them, as examples on how to do life. But the real reason is who is God and what does he want for us? So verse 5. He saw God during the days of Zechariah. So he was a priest. No, I'm sorry, he was a prophet. Zechariah was a prophet, not a priest. Who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. There was a guy that used to come to church here. His name is Nathan Carlson. And he wrote this book called The Fear of the Lord. And he did a study on, on it. And... I am of, I'm a, I am now a, a bigger, bigger believer in the fear of the Lord. And I don't know what I would be called, a fear of the Lordite, a fear of the Lordian, a fear of the Lord guy. I don't know. But it, it makes so much more sense to me now when you read through and you read about people and you read about the fear of the Lord. It's not, it's, it's not what... I used to think it was, where it was this phobia. No, it's, it's, it's a respect. It's an honor of someone or him specifically, the fear of the Lord. Zechariah, was he a priest or a prophet? 
I thought he was a prophet, but in my notes I have priest. But I think he was a prophet. I don't think he was a priest. I think he was a prophet. Anyway, the point is, though, that he was the one instructing. He was the one speaking. Uzziah was the one learning. Uzziah was the one listening. So, so if, you, if you read that verse, he was the one instructing him in the fear of the Lord. And as long as he sought the Lord, he was successful. As long as he had that healthy reverence, that healthy fear. So one's ability to receive instruction and accept wise counsel is a key to doing life well. It's a really important statement right here. So how you and I receive instruction from people around us is is big in how we will do life and how, if we're successful or not. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, it says, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15, 31 says, he who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. In Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. So my word is listen. That's my word. Listen. So the application that I pose this morning is How do we grow in listening? How do we grow in that? How do we grow in fearing the Lord? How do we we combine all of that together in order to have a better life? How do we we grow? How do we do do this thing that that we're involved in? So listening is one of the four basic ways of communication. You have reading, writing, speaking, and listening. And of those four, listening is maybe the easiest one. And listening is important. Very, very, very important. Stephen Covey wrote this book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he has a chapter in it called Principles of Empathetic Communication. And Out of that chapter is his habit number six that says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. So seek first to understand somebody before you insist on somebody understanding what you think or what you believe. You know, it's really fascinating how how people catch up to the Bible. Because the Bible is, is very specific about, about this. In James chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Covey said, Let your aim be not speech, but attentive listening. I mean, I, I'm, I know I'm guilty of this. I, I listen not to listen, but to formulate my response. 
I listen in order to figure out maybe a cutting way to say something back that will get the person. When, in reality, the best, the best process is just listen. Just be quick to listen. So how, how, what do we do in life? How do we foster our ability to fear the Lord? How do we foster opportunities for us to grow in that? And I have a copy of this book, and I didn't bring it with me. Richard Foster wrote this book called uh, The Celebration of Disciplines. And, and he lists all the different disciplines that, that Christians can participate in. Prayer, worship, study. But there are a couple on the list that we don't practice very often. Because we think they're not very, I don't know. They're not, they just seem kind of, bland. But the one that Richard Foster feels we should practice maybe more than any other is the discipline of solitude. Solitude. Richard Foster encourages us to get alone. And friends, I would conject that if, if, if Jesus did it, then so should we. Amen. Amen. So should we. Jesus had a lifestyle of sneaking away and having some solitude. In Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew. So just like other disciplines, silence, solitude, in and of itself, is an activity. Doing nothing is an activity. But the issue is we need to do it. Got to take the time. It's unfortunate that we have to almost schedule our solitude. But we do. So I created a list of some things that we can do to help increase our ability to listen better not only to God the Father, but to Holy Spirit, to listen to people around us, and to just take some time to unload the stuff that can get built up in us throughout the day or week or whatever. So here's a few things that I, that I wrote down. So take advantage of little solitudes that fill each day. Now, if you're like me, and I know you are, it's difficult to just be quiet in your car as you're driving. We have to have something on. I'm listening to an amazing podcast right now called History That Doesn't Stink. Use another S word there that ends in CK. History That Doesn't Stink. It is so good. And every time we get in my car, I want to listen to more and more and more and more episodes. But maybe that's an opportunity just to be quiet. There's enough stress of driving, isn't there? Maybe we should just 
Take some time to be quiet. Okay, this one, next one's really cool. Find or develop a quiet place designed for solitude and silence in your home. Having your prayer closet, as it were. Having a place where, where you can just sit and be quiet. Just sit. Just... And this, the thing that's kind of weird about this discipline is that sometimes I feel like I have to fill it up with something. Like I'll stop and I'll sit. And it's like, oh, I need to be reading my Bible. Oh, I need to be journaling. Oh, I need to be blah, blah, blah. No, it's okay to just sit. It's good. Find places outside the home designated specifically as quiet places that may, that may, it should have been a may there, be visited regularly, i.e. a park or a chapel. Find a place. So one of my latest hobbies that I have is I'm a chaplain at Parker Adventist Hospital. And I get to go over there when, when I get a page for really difficult situations. Had a really cool one happen the other night. I won't get to any details, but, but it's, it's so, so satisfying for me to go and be with people. And it's easy for me to just talk to people I don't know and to walk them through that kind of situation. But there is a chapel in the hospital. It's beautiful. And there are times when uh, like I'm done with what I'm doing and, and I'll go and I'll just sit in there. I'll just sit. And it's just so uh, restorative. Just helps bring nourishment back to my bones. From my house, there are two places, three, actually three places I like to run to. And a couple of them are big bluffs, big cliffs that I can just sit on. It's good to just go to those kinds of places and just, just be quiet. Just look around and listen. And let the Lord speak to you somehow. This next one's hard. Learning to control your speech patterns after the Council of Proverbs which says a person of knowledge uses words with restraint. Everybody say, ouch. That one hurts right there. So way too often my listening is used to formulate a response rather than just learning how to be empathetic and hear somebody's heart. Okay, here's where they start to get a little more take a little more work. Taking time to withdraw four times a year for three to four hours for the purpose of reorienting your life goals. So taking some time, blocking out an afternoon, blocking out a morning, and going somewhere. And I know some of you in this room have, have started practicing that, where you go somewhere and you, and you stop and you slow down. And then the big one taking a retreat of two or three days once a year for no other purpose but solitude and silence. 
There's something very powerful, very meaningful, very, very stimulating in a whole lot of ways when, you, when we take the time to stop and listen. So there's that kind of listening where we get away. And then there's the Zechariah kind of listening where we have people in our lives that we trust, that we know, that we can hear from. And in the moment, the instruction and the wisdom that they have to share may seem offensive. It also may seem like they are crazy and I am not. What do you know? You don't know what I know. But then after the fact, after maybe something has gone wrong, you say, why didn't you tell me? And maybe somebody will say, I tried. So that's hard, is beforehand when you have somebody leading you, instructing you. Because we all know it all, right? We know it all. We know what's best. We think that other person fell out of the stupid tree and had every branch on the way down. But we think we're right. And then when things fall apart, we go, oh, man, why didn't I listen? But sometimes you don't even know. You don't always know. I want to grow in the fear of the Lord. I also want to grow in listening to people around me. So just like Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. This is a total side note, but this is something that I've been thinking about. It's really easy for us to say God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. On this New Testament side of things, I have something more specific than just God. I have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? And so I am starting to distinguish between the three when I'm talking about God. Side note, just something I'm working through. So there's this really cool Trappist monk named Thomas Merton. Has anybody ever heard of anybody ever heard of Thomas Merton? Yeah, awesome. He said, "It is in deep solitude that I find the gentleness with which I can truly love my brothers and sisters. Solitude and silence teach me to love my brothers and sisters for what they are, not for what they say." And I would suggest that the same might be said for our relationship with God the Father, the triune God, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That it is in solitude and in silence that we can learn to love them and attentively listen to their voice. Because He's the Creator, He's the Sustainer, He's the Giver of Life, He is the Redeemer. But doing so, not because of what he can do for us, but just because of who he is. Amen? Amen. 
So my challenge for you today is to go back to that list and start practicing some of those things. Now start small, okay? Don't, don't just say, tomorrow I'm going away for three days. Well, if you do that, awesome. That's, good. That's great. Go for it. But start small. If solitude and silence is not a practice that you regularly participate in, make it a discipline for your life. Amen? So listen is my word. That is my word. Yeah. All right. Thus spake Uzziah. All right. So today is the first Sunday of the month. And here at Beyond Church, you all practice receiving communion on the first Sunday. So there will be a few people that come up to serve. And I think the idea is that you're all going to walk down this middle aisle and come receive from somebody. Hang on to your elements until everyone has been served, and then I'll come back and I'll pray with this. Okay? So I guess we're going to start in the front row and kind of come to the middle and come up and receive. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, there is a short little line that says, He was crushed for our iniquities. Speaking prophetically about the servant Messiah, Jesus. I'm supposed to be preaching in a few weeks on Mark 15 and 16, which is his arrest, death, and resurrection. And again, I was struck by a very short little line, and if this is all you had to read and not the other Gospels, you would think, huh, what is this? But it says, he was flogged. That's all it says. He was flogged. And I was thinking about the crushing, him being crushed. The place where Jesus sweat blood was a place called Gethsemane. And that word means olive press. Because it was an olive grove where he was. So, a squeezing <laughs> to get the, the juice, the oil. And then I was thinking about this. Something had to be crushed to make this bread. Wheat had to be crushed to make flour, to make the bread. Which is a representation of his body for us. And then grapes have to be crushed in order to make this. So the, so the picture that we are holding in our hands of him is his being crushed for us.
So it should be no surprise to us, as Camille shared today, that sometimes things in life crush us and they hurt. But hopefully, what is produced is something good. The thing that comes out of us is something good. So in our life, when we're crushed, when we have things that happen, hopefully what people see is the fruit of solitude and silence with him in order for something good to come out of us. Would you all please stand? <clears throat> Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you have a way of, for us to do life that is good for us, that you do have an order. And I thank you, Lord, that we learn about that order through lots and lots of pages in this book that we get to read. And Father, just as Jesus was crushed for our gross sin, for our gross actions, our iniquities, that we can remember what he did and we can, we can recall that because of your great mercy, we get to know who you are. And so, Father, I pray for each one of us that as we receive this, we remember what Jesus did for us, that he was crushed for our iniquities. And that somehow there's an interesting exchange of what we do wrong and what we receive. So Father, we thank you for what he did. And we receive this, not with contempt, but with a great fear of who you are and your ideas about life. So we thank you today. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go ahead and receive, friends. everyone. Uh, we still like to do our favorite time that we have here at Beyond Church where we get to spend some more time talking about uh, what Mark has presented and what God has spoken through his word today. So we have four questions this morning for you. Uh, our rule is you have to talk with someone else you didn't come with. And the goal here is that we would be reaching beyond ourselves to other people we don't know as well as our family and practicing loving one another as we interact with God's word. Uh, so you can start off, I will take probably five minutes, so you maybe pick your favorite one of these, but what was your word for Uzziah? Uh, share what that one was. Uh, what is one piece of advice you either have or haven't heeded? Uh, more as like an icebreaker kind of type question. And then the others are more the specific practical application. When are you best able to listen to God? And then how can you grow to listen better? So take about five minutes, and then I'll dismiss you at the end, but feel free to stay chatting in groups as long as you'd like.